Welcome back, Ford Explorers. Before we get into this week's episode, I want to remind you that we have a Twitter, we have an Instagram, we have a Patreon, and we have a TikTok. Sure do now. So follow us on all those, support us if you want, and most importantly, we have our hotline. Typically, we tell you a story, but we, we want you to tell us a story. So call us or text us at the hotline, leave us your story, and enjoy this week's episode. Love you guys. And welcome back, Ford Explorers, to the Ask Cat Spirit Hour. It's been about a week and a half. We apologize. We had a technical issue with last week's podcast, so that caused, you know, some re- release issues. Uh, if you don't know what we're talking about, totally fine. Hello. Welcome to the show. I am the Colonel. This is my son, Caleb. Hello. This is the cast. The Cassid at. <laughs> this is the Acid Cat Spirit Hour, where we talk about all the strange, missing, and weird things in the world that may or may not be. Uh, today, we are talking about Laura Lee Michelle, a former kid star who maybe joined the CIA or maybe went on to help with a coup in Brazil. We don't know, but we'll get to it. But as is tradition on the show, before we get into the main story, we always like to start with the Ghost Report. The Ghost Report is a, a week's, or in this case, I guess a week and a half's worth of accounting for the weird spirits that live within the bar that I own and that Caleb works at. Uh, Caleb, would you like to? with this week's ghost report yeah so this one i had a new thing happen oh you did uh, i did so some common things happen still the lights changed um i saw someone peek out from behind the bathroom door staring <laughs> at me those peekaboo's the best a guest actually saw it with me because someone was like this this place is weird tell me some history about the building <laughs> so i did and i was telling them that it was haunted and they're like really and i was like yeah right back there and we both saw oh nice yeah and she's was like the lady with the long hair it was the lady with the long hair nice but the thing that happened differently this week is I have a light in my kitchen that's orange, and it's the same light that we use here in the studio, and it has its own separate remote. Yeah, it's one of those little LED color lights. Yeah, and it's the only remote of that kind and the only light of that kind in the building, and I've never had issues with it. It changed color. Oh, interesting. And yeah. that's, that's funny, too, because you've seen the lady with the long hair kind of pop up in that little kitchen area. Mm-hmm. So maybe she figured out how to use that light. And it's been a super busy week and a half. There's been a big event in town. Yeah, and so a music festival. It's just been, there's been tons of people and tons of energy in the room. So like we've said in past episodes, we believe that more energy and the more people are in there, the more energetic the ghosts are. For sure, yeah. Feel free to leave your what your opinion in the comments. Uh, but yeah, I'm a firm believer that it seems like the more biz- the more busy, the busier that we are, the the wilder those ghosts get. 100%. It seems like we have a lot more stuff. And don't get me wrong, that's I know it's probably a little bit of that is you know there are more people to see things happening, so there are going to be more accounted for cases because yeah. I would imagine the ghostly shit happens in the bar all the time when we're not there. I mean, I can say that as somebody who is there like every single hour, you know, like when I was building out that space, I can tell you that there would be times when it felt like there was more ghost activity and it would be like if somebody just came and brought me lunch or if I was like playing music and doing something real loud, like something kind of energetic. Yeah. Yeah, I felt like I definitely 
encountered more ghostly things also when I was building things than when I was taking them apart, which I wonder if they were just glad. They were probably upset that I was building it back. They're like, yeah, he's tearing down this fuck. Oh, wait, 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 wait. No, no I'm still trapped. Yeah, like they thought if they you took it apart, they'd be free. Yeah. So they're like, fuck, no, put it back. Put, take it apart, take it apart, take it apart. Um, yeah, and I think it's funny. We, we've had some new people join the staff this week too. And we've had some things like pop up in different places than they normally are. Yeah. And our first thought is like, oh, well, the people are new to the space. They don't know. But now we kind of theorize that maybe it's the ghost fucking with us and just moving stuff around. I think they're hazing the new people is what I think they're doing. <laughs> they just want to give the new. They're like, who do you think you are? We've dealt with these other people for a year and a half. We don't have a lot of turnaround. That's not a or turnover. Not an important thing for the podcast, but relevancy to your story. We've only ever like, well, one employee, you know. And yeah. We've all been stuck together for the past couple of years. So it's kind of weird to have new people. The ghosts are probably like. Who the fuck are you, pal? Who are you guys? What are you doing here? Are you part of our family now? Where'd that one person go? We're gone. We're glad she's gone. <laughs> hey, speaking of, fantastic segue, yeah? by the way, uh, being happy somebody's gone. First of all, we are very happy that person's gone. <laughs> but we are talking today, uh, as I mentioned earlier, about Laura Lee Michelle, who is a child star, a very prominent child star in the 1940s and 50s, yes. uh, who would lead a pretty chaotic life. And that's not even really the most interesting part. The most interesting part is that uh, at 22, she would just disappear disappear off the map completely and we're talking about somebody who was in movies with Humphrey Bogart like you'll get into it obviously yes yeah. I won't start doing your job I apologize I'm the speculation guy but you know there's I it's interesting to have somebody disappear completely off the face like that especially somebody who had kind of a chaotic life and we'll get into that you know she she had some run-ins with the law and stuff like that but she was also a movie star, and she yeah. just up and disappeared, and still to this day has not been found. This story was inspired by an L.A. Times piece that came out about a week ago that I was reading, and I was like, oh, this is a really fascinating story. So we wanted to dive into it a little bit as well, because by all accounts, nobody really has. Yeah, and it's the weirdest thing, too, because as we'll get into here in just a second, her early life was so well documented in like every aspect of it, whether it was in movies, whether it was in news, whether it was just being talked about in the zeitgeist of the public well and there were extensive legal records we'll get yeah. into why but there were extensive legal records around her life basically from like five years old until 22 it's like jesus yeah I don't, so in the comments don't get all mad at me about you know blasphemy or whatever i'm just saying that you know there's a lot of really good records. there's a whole book there are a bunch of guys keeping the stories of when that dude was born until he was 33 and he disappeared yeah and now it, we don't know where he is and we sit around thinking he's coming back do we think laura lee michelle is coming back when is she gonna come back is Laura just one of us? Just a just a bum just like, a one slob like one of us? <laughs> just a stranger sitting on the bus? So, uh, Laura Lee Michelle was born in LaGrange, Texas on September 13th, 1940 to... Uh, <laughs> to ZZ Top? Sorry, that's all I can think of when I think of LaGrange, Texas. Willie Walker Williford wow. is this guy's name. Uh -huh. Man, man, what a, what a flowery old-timey name. And Lena Smith Brunson okay. were her birth parents. But... Her early childhood was not great. She was born into a very poor family that had four or five kids. It was, it was unsure. That's how poor and un like <laughs> not well rounded this family was. Hey, is, the, is number three still alive? Yeah, I think so. I saw him a couple of days ago, but I honestly can't confirm. I grew up raising animals, and that's how that feels. You know, it's like it's like watching the cat. Like, hey, where's the one with the weird ear? Have you seen that one? Oh, we better go find it. So. Money was super tight for the family, yeah. and Willie had an alcohol problem, and Lena ran away multiple times. Her mother ran away multiple times, 
And finally, when Laura was five, they put her up for adoption. Okay. They they put all of their kids up for adoption. They're like, you know what? This is just easier. I'm, I'm leaving honest, my man, husband. We are in the deep end over here. Yeah. She's like, I'm leaving my husband, and the kids are going up for adoption. So I mean, that's a smart thing to do. You know, if you can't if you can't help your kids, there's a lot of people who hang on to their kids, and yeah. their lives are just so much worse for it. So Laura was adopted at age five by Otto Michelle, who was a cotton broker, and his wife Lorraine. And they renamed her to Laura Lee Michelle. So her, her adoption. Her Virginia, right? Yes. Yeah. Her adoption is really strange. Okay. So there's a couple of different stories. One of the stories is that Lena took off, um, some people say, with a Baptist minister and left all the children with her ex- ex-husband. Okay. And he was unable to take care of them. So he sent the older ones to stay with friends and the younger ones to be adopted. Okay. Not a lot of pa- like not a lot of paperwork is there to back that up. Okay, okay, heard. Uh, in another version, that reminds me a little bit. Of, sorry to interrupt, but that reminds me a little bit of the uh, Wineville chicken coop murders. Yes, just like sending one family member away and then something terrible happens. If you guys haven't listened to that episode, feel free to go uh, listen to the. Uh, it's not, I guess, formally about that. Yeah, yeah, it's about the disappearance of a child, but same kind of idea. In another version of the story, uh, the local children's services came in and just took all of the kids okay. and put them up for adoption, that seems knowing m- that like that couldn't take care of them. That seems more likely, yeah. But and the first story sounds like a cover up of that second one. Uh, oh no, no, it was our idea. It was my idea. So the story that Lorraine Michelle gives, she gave it to the press that she was in a Schulenberg store, Schulenberg, Texas, and she met Laura Lee. And they started having a conversation. The conversation went to the family's difficulties and how hard it was. And the childless Michelles were like, well, we have a great nephew that we raised, but he's in the U.S. Army Signal Corps in Japan, so we'd love to have another kid. And fell in love with Laura Lee, supposedly. Went home with her and was like, hey, we hear you're having a hard time raising these kids. We'd love to adopt your daughter. Hurt. That's the story that the family tells. Okay. So... There's actually a quote from Otto that says, she was a ragged little waif. We took her in. (laughs) That's what I call my cat when I'm mad at him. Uh, We took her in and gave her a home, and she loved us like she was our own child. We loved her, too. So they ended up adopting Laura Lee. Um, Laura Lee's younger sisters, Barbara Ann and Penny, uh, went to go live with Otto's brother, Henry, and his wife, Lily, in San Antonio. And they ended up just adopting Barbara, and Penny was sent to another friend of theirs who adopted her. Okay. So they all were in the same area still, but Heard. they weren't in the same families anymore. Gotcha, gotcha. But still, you know, you're, you're close. Yes. That's tricky, though, because, you know, when you're adopted out, you don't know that. Yeah. Especially, I mean, we're talking about the 40s here, 30s. So yeah. Like, you, you really don't know who's what and where. How We hear those stories a lot, but I couldn't imagine what it would be like to discover you know, that your next door neighbor is actually your cousin or something. So Laura Lee supposedly had just this natural charm about her. And she was a bright, charismatic kid who had a smile that quote lit up the room. So Lauren kind of took a hold of this. And well, she was in Annie, wasn't she? Uh, no, 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 that's Shirley Temple. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, so Lorraine taught the girl how to recite nursery rhymes, and Laura Lee did so with, quote, sparkling charm. So they started putting her into pageants. And she was winning quite a few pageants. Are you sure she wasn't in Annie? No, no, again, uh, Shirley Temple. Okay. So while performing mm. in the Lions Club in Schulenburg, she got the attention of a bunch of Texas dignitaries okay. and a Texas Railroad commissioner that were just like, hey, um, they sent a telegram to Warner Brothers, and they said, if you don't take a look at this child, 
You're missing a million dollars worth of Texas talent. <laughs> Man, that sounds like something that Joe Rogan yells at his agent, you know? You're dealing with $200 million of Texas talent. So they end up getting reached out by Warner Brothers, and so Laura Lee and Lorraine move from Texas to Hollywood. They move into the Crescent Heights Boulevard into an apartment building that Marilyn Monroe and Rock Hudson both lived in. Oh, man. And as a little kid, this this is very much like the Wineville chicken coop murders, because for those who don't know, in that case, a kid impersonates another. It's there's a movie based around it, but it impersonates another child in an effort to just go to Hollywood to meet his favorite actor. Yeah. He should have just been adopted. Yeah, he should have just did what Laura Lee did. She just got adopted. I like to think that they were like ships in the night and he's <laughs> he never quite makes it, you know, and she sees him get arrested and she's like, oh, anyway, <laughs> hello, celebrities. Hello, Rock Hudson. So Otto remained back home to pay their bills and Lorraine and Laura Lee stayed in Hollywood. So Lorraine encouraged Laura Lee's Man, talents. Man, they had it figured out. <laughs> yeah. Um, enrolled her into dance classes, hired a drama coach. Uh, her a fellow Texan named Ona Wargan, who specialized in working with kids. Okay. And not... Do you think sh- that that's like working with dolphins or yeah. bears? <laughs> Shortly She's a after, child trainer. Short, child wrangler. <laughs> Shortly after, Laura Lee began acting in TV and radio dramas. And within a couple years... She appeared in I Remember Mama at the El Capitan Theater and in Claire Booth Lucille's The Woman at the Key Theater. So she was getting big parts in these big theater productions in Hollywood. That's cool. Uh, I did a little radio when I was a kid. Uh, This is not my only claim to fame, despite how incredibly popular our podcast is. (laughs) I I used to with my dad. Oh, because I have an announcer's voice. Yeah. And when you're a little kid, I had the same resonance. It was just a little kid's voice. So me and my dad, it was easy because me and my dad would play like father, son in a car commercial. And it was, you basically didn't have to write it because my dad could just talk to me. It was nice. Yeah. Anyway, this is not about me. Let's go back to Laura Lee. Sorry. So she was finally invited to sing and dance at the Hollywood Roosevelt Hotel in front of 500 studio execs. Hey, little girl, why don't you come down here and do your little singing dancing? Uh, And this is where it gets real creepy. It says, yeah, the phrase about her sitting in every guy's yeah, lap. Yeah, Laura Lee ended the routine by sitting on every lap in the place. Her ew. mother boasted to their hometown paper. Yeah, that's gross as fuck. And it's like, ew. What is, it's, we, it's so weird for her mom to be like, I get it. I'm not shaming her mom here. I yeah. understand what's going on. But it's funny for her mom to be like, I can't even fucking. She sat on every lap yeah. in the place. My daughter slutted it up in there. She's only five and she just worked every lap in the room. Like, that's fucking, I'm so sorry for what I just said, but God. That's Look at Laura Lee like. go, and it cuts, and it's like, she's my cherry <laughs> That Buck Cherry song. Uh, so Laura Lee got super popular, starts getting... Uh, <laughs> Broke it down for all the big execs. Starts getting parts in actual movies. Her Do you think a Weinstein was there? Do you think Harvey's, like, grandfather? <laughs> my name think? is Archibald Weinstein. I'd love to offer you a movie. No, so... Her big movie role was playing Lulu, who was the daughter of Gary Cooper and Ann Sheridan in the 1948 romantic comedy Good Sam. Okay. And according to the execs, they were looking at 10 different girls for the part. She walked in, and one of the execs said, you know, um, you make up your mind, so the other nine can just go home. What? Yeah. That's a flex for her, I guess, but damn. How cold would it be if you, like, worked your whole life? What if you were pulling a scheme? Again, I know I keep bringing this up, but you pull a scheme, you get to that, like, to the reading, and you're like, this is it. I'm finally going to make it. You don't even get to read. You're, like, the best, legitimately the best actor in there. You don't even get to, you, like, robbed a gas station at (laughs) six years old to get here. And they're like, I'm sorry, we're just going to take her. And there's another girl who's like, I'm going to fucking kill her. Maybe that's what happened to her. (laughs) Uh, We'll get there later. (laughs) So, Laura Lee began appearing in a bunch of different like pulpy 
noirish films. Okay, and they're still in circulation today. Like Dude, Mr. Soft Touch. That she. Yeah, I don't like that. <laughs> That's not an. What the fuck is with Hollywood, man? I don't know. You know, I'm not one of these like deep conspiracy. Hollywood is a pedophile cabal. But come on, Mr. <laughs> Soft Touch. So oh, sorry that was so loud. By 1950, she was earning a hundred dollars a day, okay. which is about. $1,150 in today's money. Oh, she was making cash. She was making bank. Yeah, she was. So one day, her acting coach, in January 12th of 1950, her acting coach, Ona Wargan, arrived to their house and was like, hey, I'm going to go take her to a modeling interview. And she's like, can you dress her prettily and I'll be there to pick her up soon. Well, she gets there. Uh, she uh, she gets there and Miss Wargan is like, I told Laura Lee to be a good girl, kissed her goodbye, sent her out the door. Miss Worgan said, don't worry, if we're late, we'll be at Paramount Studio. But that's not where they actually went. Oh, where'd they go? So, Worgan... That's like the... Uh, that feels like... I don't even know where they're going yet. Yeah. Uh, but that feels like the inverse of, like, telling a kid you're going to Disneyland and then going to the dentist. It's like, we're going to Disneyland. Psych! So, where she actually went was to the police. Oh! Because... Man, I should have waited to tell that. I'm glad I told that joke when I did. I wouldn't be making it now. Uh, she had seen bruises on Laura Lee. And Laura Lee told the officers she was afraid of her adopted mother, oh, who she said mistreated her, starved her to keep her small for roles, and pleaded with the police to never send her back to that woman. Oh, fuck, man. So, within hours, Laura Lee was placed in the care of Reverend Elford Sunstorm. Do you think that means their nephew was, like, a perfectly well-rounded, nice kid, and he's in military school now because they just, like, tortured him until he got there? It could be. It could be. Or is be. this all, like, kind of alleged? Yeah, this okay. is all alleged. So, I won't put the cart in front of the horse, sorry. Uh, Lorraine was arrested and charged with child abuse and neglect and okay. was released on a $1,000 bail. Which, again, as we just mentioned, would be about ten times that, yeah, hundred times that, hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, I mean, you're the mother of one of the most popular child actresses. Yeah, that's and fair. you just got an abuse allegation against. Yeah, you. still though. So four days later, Otto Why flew can't this to Los. Happened to like the Pauls. I know. Well, it did. They just don't care. <laughs> so four days later, Otto flew to L.A. and he said, as soon as he got out, he said, "There's either a mistake or a frame up, and I'm going there to see." Is what he told the paper in Texas. Interesting. And he said that he never supported sending their daughter to Hollywood, and now he planned to fight and keep his home together. Interesting. Well, he probably didn't. I mean, you know, yeah. not to say that they like bailed on him, but also that's not entirely his decision to make yeah. either. It's an interesting situation because it's an adopted child as well. I'm a little more inclined to believe some of the accusations that they weren't very good parents because people who aren't, nobody's really all that good of a parent until they do some parenting. Yeah. Um, and unless you, that experience you have is relevant to like actual parenting, there's... You shouldn't, what I'm trying to say is you should learn how to do that in a job or something. Yeah. Like, fuck, even if you're in the military or something, like, learn a way to learn subordination and compassion without doing so, like, by trying it out on a kid. Yeah. Which is what this feels like. Like, we're wealthy. <laughs> we we weren't challenged. Let's try it out on a kid. And then, of course, this kid's probably getting fucking yelled at all the time because they're like, well, you're a failure. We're much better than you. And yeah. It's like, That's a child. So the couple hired Oscar Cummings, who was an attorney with connections to Columbia Pictures, where Laura Lee had made many of her movies. Yeah, Mr. Soft Touch. Otto was writing to his brother Henry throughout all this, and he called Cummings our red-hot lawyer and expressed <laughs> his uh, in his brief that they would prevail because he said, I feel so confident that God is with us. Oh, okay, well, so <laughs> it's a different time. <laughs> in the same letter... I like that I say that about racism and evangel <laughs> like evangelical behavior. He was being really religious in public. It was a different time. In the same letter, Otto seemed to have changed his mind about Hollywood after getting there, though. Because well, he excitedly described his visit <laughs> to the Columbia backlot 
and said, you would have thought we were the greatest celebrities out there. It was terrific. <laughs> you were. Like, your yeah. daughter kind of is, man. So She's Shirley Temple. That's a big deal. As they're going through this, um, they're now about to go under trial for these abuse allegations. And then comes a plot twist, an even bigger plot twist. Dude, this is a twisty ass one. This is shoots and ladders, this whole story. So out of the picture for the last five years, Laura Lee's biological mother, Lena, <gasps> got on a bus in Texas and traveled to L.A. You love to see it. Um, she shows up and she says, hey, <laughs> they got my child through fraud. That's my baby. <laughs> trickery and under duress and i want my child back i love this listen my kid's worth a small fortune now and uh i was talking to somebody and i guess i get that money so i'm gonna need that kid back yeah so the national press was gripped by the unfolding drama swirling around this adorable Dude, child no star well, do we even have a child star like this that this could happen with now not really it'd be like if it happened to millie bobby brown or yeah something, right you know like or charlie d'amelio or something but it's and they're like it just seems like there's two greedy adults trying to exploit her growing fame and Laura Lee became the subject for a sensational custody trial, putting her real mother against her foster mother. The foster mother is also in this abuse allegation, which isn't helping the custody thing. So now she's in the middle of this abuse uh, trial and now a custody trial. Jeez. So Otto was like, we're going fucking broke. He's like, we can't do this shit. Also, Hollywood's pretty fun. Yeah. So... He now says that we are up against one of the slickest, slimiest, diabolical frame-ups you could possibly imagine. Ona Worgen has been working and waiting for this opportunity for two years. She and her degraded, racketeering husband and a clique have cooked up one of the slickest deals you could imagine. It's colossal. So he's like, all of these people, the her agent, her Oh coach, yeah, that's a grand level conspiracy. Everybody's yep. in on it together. Uh, the reverend that she went to after making these allegations, Reverend uh, Sundstrom. Okay. He's like, they're all rich dupes who are part of the plan and they're trying to take her away from us. Ooh. Yeah. He was mad. So this trial goes underway. There's a bunch yeah, of- Yeah, because this isn't even like, this is just in her childhood. Yes. We haven't even gotten to her going to jail. Or no, no, getting, no. You know, like, this is, she's got a weird life. So you got the two litigations, you got the custody hearing and the abuse trial. Uh, they get private detectives and everything. Otto keeps talking to his brother Henry via letter and also just asking for money because he's like, we don't have any <laughs> money left. We got to hire so many uh, lawyers. Laura Lee starts claiming that her adopted mother beat her with a hairbrush if she gained a pound. She told the judges she was so hungry all the time she was forced to steal milk and cheese off the neighbor's porch when it was delivered. She was like, I hate being there. I don't want to stay with them. She said, quote, I want to go back to my mother, Lena, and live in a shack rather than being in Hollywood. And at this point, the press kind of turns on her. Interesting. They start calling her a problem child and a troubled actress and a poor little rich girl because everyone's like, oh, well, she she's just... She's sad yeah. that she's not getting her way. Yeah, well, because it's people who are envious. You know, yeah. you see it all the time when it's like, I want, I admire, and I want what you have. So if you find any reason not to enjoy it, you mm -hmm. must be a hypocrite and an asshole. Like, how could you possibly not love your fame? So I don't know, maybe because she's like seven years old and this has been torture so far. And also, she has no family. Like, she has nobody yeah. she can trust. She has no family. So when it came to the custody trial, Lena, her birth mother, took the took the stage, not the stage, the stand, and was like, yeah, her adoption was a fraud. My ex-husband threatened to harm us if I didn't sign the papers to give the girl away. 
And she's like, I had no idea where Laura Lee was living. I had no money to go look for her. And I only knew she was in L.A. when I saw Good Sam and realized that my daughter was in Hollywood. So I scrounged up a bunch of stuff and, and came here immediately to find her. Well, <laughs> the Mitchell's lawyer introduced the adoption papers signed by Lena and a letter she wrote to them expressing her gratitude for adopting her daughter. Oops. Yeah. They also presented the Texas welfare report stating that Lena had abandoned Laura Lee and her five other children two years before they were adopted. Oh, no. Yeah, so yeah. that kind of just went straight out That's the window. damning, yeah. So February 8th, 1950, <laughs> uh, Judge Scott is about to give his discuss, uh, decision. All the parties are out in the hallway, and Laura Lee sees her mom, Lena, runs to her, starts crying, Lorraine rushes towards her. A tug-of-war breaks out between the adoptive mother and the birth mother. They're basically playing tug-of-war with this child. <laughs> and then inside the courtroom, Judge Scott denied the petition to remove her from the Michaels, or the Michelles and return her to Lena, and that caused Laura Lee to burst out in tears and said, I want my real mother. And yeah, that's what they were trying to figure out, man. Judge Scott said, Honey, there's a lot of things you don't understand now. <laughs> Miss Michelle is your real mother now. You mind her, and you know what will happen if you don't, don't you? Interesting. This is like, what was the case where, uh, this is, no, it's the same case. This feels so much like the, why can't I think of that kid's name? Walter Collins. Yeah, Walter Collins. It feels Collins. so much like the case of Walter Collins because uh, Christine Collins, his mother, was given another child and was gaslit by a police officer, yep. also in California, who was like, no, you just got to have this kid. It doesn't really matter if it's yours. It's yours now. Uh, and she replied, she said, yes, I'll get spanked. Again, real weird. Uh, Judge Scott then playfully turned her over his knee, gave her a slight pat, and said, yep, like that, only harder. Jeez, man. I, this is the this is like the conservative dream. Yeah, so after the press starts taking pictures, Laura Lee's attitude quickly shifts. She starts posing for pictures, hugging and kissing the Michaels, or, yeah, Michelle's, and saying, my sweet mother, my wonderful father. Jumped on the judge's lap, gave him a kiss on the cheek. Weird. Like, Just basically turned it in an instant to a press junket. Fascinating. Uh, yeah, I know that she was also criticized when she was on the stand and during the trial for kind of uh, behaving like she was on camera. Yeah. But can you blame her? I mean, that's kind of the only interaction she, like, nice interaction she has with adults. I wouldn't be that surprised if she'd turn it on then, you know? So, uh, Judge Scott finally also said that the Michelles had to take Laura Lee out of movies and back to Texas so she can be a normal child. And Otto said, there will be no more acting. Our baby is going to lead a normal, happy like, childhood. There are fates worse than death. Um, <laughs> and at that point, Lena slipped out of the uh, courthouse quietly and was never seen again. Her birth mother just slunked out of the room, never to be seen again. Like, uh, like, uh, like mother, like daughter. Yeah, she she ended up dying in Jacksonville, Texas, in two thousand at the age of eighty six. Oh wow! Uh, oh, that's fascinating mm -hmm. because, well, as we'll get to it, uh, currently Laura would be eighty one years old. Yes. So if her mother made it to eighty six, there is a chance she is still alive. So they're like, take her back to Texas. Um, you, she can't do any more acting, and they're like, of course she's never going to be in a movie again. Um, three weeks later, she made headlines. Uh, she began work on Between Midnight and Dawn, which was a criminal noir film. No, it wasn't. It was, um, it was a community theater production. There were just people with cameras in there. And uh, this from the L.A. Times splashed on its front page. The retirement of Laura Lee Michelle, nine, the little screen actress who was recently the subject of a stormy custody battle, didn't last a month. <laughs> um, so Lorraine explained that Laura Lee was happy here and she loves acting and loves Hollywood. And it'd be a shame to cut her career short at this point. Yeah. So 
they said that the family lawyer said that her returning to acting was a kind of therapy to eliminate the gruesome details of the custody trial from her mind. And the judge is like, uh, no, you can't. So then the abuse trial comes up. Okay. They figure out that she's been acquitted. Everything that she said was kind of a lie. Everyone around her was like, no, she got those bruises from acting, stuff like that. So they were like, she's fine. Mm-hmm. She ends up getting, uh, living her life, going back to Texas, where Otto and Lorraine both pass away, and she just disappears for a little bit. Okay. She Around then, what age? Uh, so it was 1953. Okay. So Laura Lee didn't attend the funeral to either of her parents, and then she just kind of dropped off from the public eye for a bit, and people saw that she cycled through a bunch of different foster homes until okay. she was 18. Okay. That's a, such a fascinating idea, like a celebrity actor, you know, going through the foster care system. Yeah. Like, as a fo- I have a friend who's a foster parent, and you don't always know. The, you know, sometimes you meet the kids, usually you get to meet the kids beforehand, but not always. It depends yeah. on, like, how, how your home works. And I would imagine then it was especially callous. So it's probably just, like, a bunch of nuns. And it would have been very strange to, like, if imagine, again, to go back to the same, I guess she was younger than that, but whatever nine-year-old celebrity, Ryan from Ryan's yeah. Play Reviews or whatever, Imagine if you're running a, a, a halfway house or an orphanage and he just walks through the door. You're like, what the fuck are you doing? Aren't you a millionaire? What are you doing here? Are you here to buy the orphanage? So she ends up bouncing around a couple of Catholic schools while being an orphan um, and drops out she after the, the 11th Catholics grade. Not to just like set her aside and be like, let's take care of her. Yeah. She's Shirley Temple. Well, she drops. She's not Shirley Temple. Different person. <laughs> she drops out of school in the 11th grade and gets married for the first time at 17 okay. by a, na- a man named Donald Mayo Ford. Don Mayonnaise? Yeah, good old Don Mayonnaise. According to their marriage license, she was pregnant. Okay. And so she gave birth to a girl named Donna Ann who was put up for adoption with a Houston family almost immediately. Okay. So according to the filings, Ford then told authorities he had divorced Laura Lee sometime around 1958, just like seven or eight months after they got married. Oh, wow. Um, but Well, she was known to be pretty impulsive. Yes. Uh, a year later, they had another child, a son named uh, William Henry, and he was born uh, with a condition that caused his lungs to fail to expand normally, and he didn't survive childbirth. He, yeah, he was. well, he wasn't stillborn, but he, yeah, he, he yeah, died he, right away. He lived like three hours. Yeah. So seven months later, she checked herself into the Austin State Hospital, which was a psychiatric facility, and she and it's now just a very haunted building. Yeah, uh, she was like, "I need to be in here." She told her or she told her psychiatrist that her foster parents were killed in a car accident, and her natural parents also died in a car accident, which isn't true. Well, yeah, as we yeah. just said, not even remotely true. She doesn't I mean, know what happened to her dad. She doesn't know where her mom is, <laughs> and she knows very well that her parents did not die from a car accident. It's kind of true. Because it's the storyline to a character she played in the movie, The Snake Pit. Oh, interesting. Yes. I wonder if she has some, like, cognitive... Or do you think she was just, like, pulling that story because she was like, well, it's I know it's a compelling story. It was a good movie. Well, the character in that movie shared her birth name, Virginia. Interesting. So it had this weird parallel. Yeah. So after nine days and finding out that, like, hey, that's exactly like the story in the movie that she played a person in, they discharge her from the hospital nine days later. That makes sense. So after that... Laura Lee returned to Houston, uh, going from job to job. She finally gets a magazine-selling job at a publishing company and worked as a clerk's typist with the Houston Transit Company, earning $200 a month. So she was going from $100 a day to to $200 a month. month. 
it's so fascinating that like why does this happen to every child star it, there i feel like there are qualities i know that we've seen it in some actors like frankie muniz and stuff yeah. and uh jake lloyd mm-hmm. i feel like there are some actors oh what's the one from the sixth sense why can't i think of that kid's name uh, Haley joel osment yeah there are certain people that like when they're children they look because of their physical features they're a little more exaggerated but they're smaller so like when they're younger they have like a captivating face and appearance but then when they get old they look kind of weird because they have a very distinct kid face yeah but that person has a distinct kid face which means that even when they're 60 they're gonna have a distinct kid face like beans from even steven yeah exactly who looks just like beans but now 60 years old it's so fucking weird he looks like he's still 13 so uh laura lee keeps bouncing (laughs) beans through brief marriages and getting in bouts of trouble not being able to hold a job and then in 1960 she meets uh joe owen who is a handsome former marine nine years her senior and they get married in Fort Bend County, Texas. And days after they married, she writes her aunt and uncle saying she plans a honeymoon in San Antonio for the weekend to meet them. Okay. And that her husband is super to meet him. She's anxious to see him because it's been a long time. They did not respond to the letter. Oh, fascinating. Mm-hmm. So she then goes and steals his car <laughs> and disappears. So it's now 1961. She's living in Corpus Christi, and she's working as a waitress in a nightclub. At a hotel. Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that part is true. <laughs> so she meets Frank O'Neill Scott, who was another Marine who served in the Korean War and was 12 years older than her, had a 10th grade education, and was a heavy drinker with a long and serious history of writing bad checks. Hell yeah, dude. What a great mate. So what they did is uh, they embarked on a life of crime. Fuck yeah. And they get married. They ret- <laughs> I do love a romantic crime duo, you know? Uh, they return to Scott's Iowa hometown where they stayed in a motel where, sadly, Scott pimped Laura Lee out. Oh, jeez, man. Yep. Uh, they were arrested after an informant. Hey, you want to do some crime? Sure. You want to be a whore? No. <laughs> uh, they were ensnared with a Mark $20 bill, an informant, and a sheriff. Basically got them in a sting operation. Fuckers. Uh, he apprehended the couple. The sheriff found the money in the sole of Scott's shoe. So... He gave the money to Laura Lee. Laura Lee then gave it to Scott as yep. her pimp and then yeah. got them both in. So they spent what a, a week. shitty way to go down. They spent a week in jail in 1961. Um, the sheriff said that Laura Lee kept tap dancing in the jail cell. So she still had this performer spirit. So in February of 1962. <sighs> I'm laughing, but there's a lot of like worry, you know. Um, in 1962, Scott uh, goes AWOL from the army. Uh, after he had honorably discharged from the Marines. So he went from the Marines, went into the Army, and then went AWOL from the Army. Do you think he was just like, do you think (laughs) the entire time he was just, there's a lot of rivalry between the two? Do you think, because the Army and the Navy, do you think he he was just trolling the Army? He he was like, I'm a great soldier, but I'm going to go fuck their shit up. Like, he left them hanging on something or something, some really expensive thing. So they start popping around Texas, in and out of other states as well doing a bunch of different schemes, including picking up his old hobby of writing bad checks again. (laughs) So in June 21st, they're right outside uh, Jonesboro, Arkansas, where the couple go to a car dealership and they look to buy a 1957 Mercury. They're like, hey, can we take it for a test drive? And the guy's like, them a Mercury and cruise it up and down the road. There's a lot of parts of this story that feel like country music lyrics. Uh This whole thing feels like a Waylon Jennings song. So they're like, hey, um, can we take this for a self-drive? Or a test drive. And they're like, yeah. And they did. They drove it all the way to Houston, Texas. <laughs> I rented a U-Haul truck the other day, and uh, the guy had to take my picture with it because they have such an issue with people stealing them. <laughs> so 
After that, they start living in Missouri for a bit, and Laura Lee answered an ad for a governess put out by Leonard Voles, who was a self-employed contractor who lived in Webster Groves, which is a suburb of St. Louis, and he was divorcing his second wife. And so she starts living with him. Uh, He had five kids, so she starts taking care of his kids. Well, she starts going around and calling herself Mrs. Voles and saying that Scott, her husband, is her brother, and she's married to this rich dude. Oh, that's the that's the White Stripes approach to fame. So they then steal his convertible, <laughs> and in December 28th, the Texas Highway Patrol found them driving the stolen convertible around El Paso, and they get uh, arrested and charged with two counts of unlawful transporting a stolen motor vehicle across state lines Damn. and are sent to Harris County Jail in Houston. And they both uh, faced five years in prison and a $5,000 fine. And now she starts popping up in newspapers again because she's had this life of crime now. So people are saying, like, ex-actress upstaged. Um, People are interviewing her. She said she grew up when people are asking why she's changed this career. (laughs) Hey, little girl, why'd you go from being cute in movies to stealing cars? She's like, I grew up, motherfucker. Yikes. Uh, She likes a match with her teeth. So she spends two months in jail and gets released February 8th of 1963 on a $1,000 bail and returns to Webster Grove to live with Voles again. Webster Grove, by the way, really, it gives me like real, um, oh, now I can't think of the, what's the Grove, the conspiracy, the QAnon, the one in California. Yeah. Yeah, I can't, somebody leave it in the comments for me. I screwed that up. I shouldn't interrupt it. I should edit this (laughs) out, but I'm not going to. So they then plead guilty. uh, Both Scott and Laura Lee plead guilty to one count of car theft. Laura Lee was sentenced to 13 months in prison, and Scott received 27 months in prison. And so on March 9th, 1963, Laura Lee was delivered to the Federal Reformatory for Women in Alderson, West Virginia, and was never seen again. Hell yes! Uh, her, if she served her full sentence, she would have been released from Alderson in April of 1964, but no one knows when she got out, if she got out, no one saw her again. A couple of reporters have asked the... A prison, and they said they will not release her prison records to show if she ever got out. So that brings us to where the hell is she? Yeah, and what happened? Where, this was she 1964. Because she, she and as we said at the beginning, she could very well still be alive. Yeah, yeah. she very she was born she, in 1940, so yeah, September so she, 1940. Yeah, so she's pushing 82, but she definitely could still be alive. Yeah, there's no, there's no reason to believe that she couldn't be, uh, especially this one. She seems to be quite the survivor. But yeah, so this is the fun part. This is when we get into speculation um, and as it, to what happened. Uh, great telling, by the way. Yeah, thank you. Interesting life this young lady lived. Uh, just a real whirlwind. <laughs> yeah. Now the the. There's almost nobody who has an idea of what happened to Laura Lee, Mm. except for one of her exes. Yes. Her final ex says that she died in 79 from cancer. Yes. Yeah, that she was released from prison. It was actually uh, a friend of uh, Joe Owen. Yeah, Joe Her husband, Joe Owen. A friend of his, he was like, hey, um, I found out, because Joe Owen was like, I wonder whatever happened to Laura Lee. And his friend was like, hey, I dug into it a little bit. I found out she passed away from cancer in 1979. But that was just in a letter. Yep. And also, I'm not sure what he dug into because there's no death certificate. You can't find anything for Laura. It doesn't exist. And while that's not entirely, like, that big of a surprise, you know, given the time period, sometimes paperwork was the last priority. Yeah. But it doesn't change the fact that this guy straight up said, I know what happened, but... It had to be nothing more than hearsay because he doesn't know what happened. Yeah, and to go with that, like, paperwork is such a fickle thing, especially with 
federal institutions. My uncle was born on a military base in the Philippines. Oh, yeah, Tommy? Yeah. yeah his birth certificate. His man. birth certificate. So <laughs> he went to go renew his license, and they messed up his birthday. Even though they were just renewing it, they did his birthday a day off. And he's like, hey, you messed this up. Can you change it back? They're like, we need to see your birth certificate. And he's like, I don't have one. <laughs> well, they're like, you got to get one. The base he was born on no longer existed. It took him two and a half years to get a birth certificate. Yeah, so keep that in mind when we're talking about there and not being any paperwork. He was born in the 80s. Yeah. yeah so yeah. if she died in the 79. 70s, in 79, yeah. that paperwork could have easily disappeared. Yeah, so it's fair to say that there's a decent chance that this one's plausible. Yeah. Um, however, it is important to say that while it is plausible, the the weird thing is that there's zero documentation, mm -hmm. no obituaries, no graves, no body, and we all know the rule, right? Yes. No body, no death. No, nah, if it's not an on-screen death, we can't prove it happens. Yeah, so in this case, I have a harder time believing that she died of cancer. I think that's a nice thought, and I think while Occam's Razor tells us that that's probably the most likely uh, answer— I'm not sure that Occam's razor is very accurate in this situation because this woman is like that TikTok trend of like, don't let them know your next move. Yeah. She was such a fucking character, man, that I'm not really sure you can reliably <laughs> forecast her behavior. That song's just playing that don't let them know your next move. And she's like walking to get on the plane to Texas and she just turns and goes to a movie set. And then <laughs> she, she turns again and gets into in. a car and drives away. <laughs> That's a funny thing. Laura Lee, if you're out there, do that TikTok. Especially now because you'd be 82. It'd be funny as fuck, man. We love you, Laura. Uh, and then, of course, then the other one is, okay, so maybe she uh, died. Right? Like, mm -hmm. she's 80. The, we're going to talk about the chances of her being dead a lot, right? Like, we don't need to go into uh, natural causes really so much because we don't know where. But she could have died in prison. That's yep. very likely. It, it's strange, though, if she did die in prison. Because if she did die in prison, that means she would have died in 1963. And there would have been some form of paperwork for that. Like, the... yeah. I know that I've seen, I also have seen Shawshank 300 times, and I know that the prison system's fucked up and corrupt, and I know that the likelihood of there being good paperwork for that is pretty low, but still, like, you still have to report when somebody dies. And, and I know it's the 60s, so, like, we can think about, like, oh, the, like, the Cropsey stuff in Long Island and, like, the weird, scary, just the way that people were treated, especially in, like, asylums or anything yeah. like that. But still, I don't know. I have a hard time believing that she would die right away in prison. Especially because, like, she seemed to be pretty good at working the room. Yeah. What the fuck could you... What I You'd could, really have to screw up. She's like, she's not a drug dealer. This isn't Pablo Escobar. She's an actress. Like, what would she do in jail to get killed right away? Well, Was Shirley Temple in there? <laughs> what I think is possibly, to go with this one, you have this big name. It's this child star fallen from grace in jail, and someone's like, that street cred kills her. And then the prison's like, fuck, this child star just died in our prison. I don't think it's street cred to kill a child star. <laughs> I don't know. I, there, a lot of them go to prison. Like, it's seemingly all of them go to prison. And, like, every single one of them gets out. And if Danny Bonaducci made it out of prison, I don't <laughs> think. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So, I don't know. I, I think that while it's definitely possible, the, this one's plausible. Drop the big metal plaque that says plausible. I, yeah, I don't think she died in prison. I'm not a big fan of this theory. Yeah. I don't I don't think that's very likely. I think it's more likely that she was released from prison and something happened there because 13 months without paperwork is interesting. 
so that one would be that she, so theory number three, basically, because uh, I don't, I mean, would you like to expand on that? I don't really no, think she died in jail. I don't think jail. she died in jail. And if you think we're going over too fast and you think we're full of shit, by all means, please leave a, a comment about how we're full of shit about the jail thing. I just have a hard time believing that she died in jail. And I think that some of the other theories deserve a little bit more attention, especially some of the ones that we're uh, specialists yeah. in. There's some theories in here that I think some people haven't considered that we're going to bring up. But the other was that, you know, maybe she was released from prison. And if she was released from prison, there's a very, very high. This woman was a recidivist. For those at home without the budget for that word, that's fair. It just means that she kept committing crimes. Yeah. So the likelihood that once she gets out, she's going to continue the sleight of hand. Like, I know my, here's a fun fact about me. My grandfather, your great grandfather was an honest to goodness. Well, that's a weird way to put it. Con man. That's what yeah. he did. He was a confidence man. He robbed people of their money by tricking them into thinking that he was the guy to give it to. Yeah. And I, I don't know that she wasn't just as capable of a con man. Like we have a lot of those familial traits, you know, yeah. we're also everybody in my family, every one of his kids is an entertainer. You know why? Cause that's the legal way that we can steal yeah. from people. <laughs> and we're all doing, the same shit we all do what grandpa did we just do it a little different that's all i mean this one it makes sense like just you keep bouncing around the more people you get married to the more well which is funny it kind of takes me back to one of her ex-husbands one of her ex-husbands went to go get married again like 15 years later and when he went to go get married the courthouse was like uh we can't and he's like, but she's dead. And they're like, no, she's not. We don't have any proof of that. Well, they were just like, you never got divorced from her. And he's like, well, I haven't seen her in 15 years. Can I get divorced from her? And they're like, uh, she's got to be here. Right. But what I'm saying is when he went to go marry, get married would have been after 1964. Yeah. yeah. Which if they were still legally married, that means that there was no death certificate mm -hmm. entered for her. Because when you get a death certificate entered for you, you can invalidate a marriage license. Yep. It's right there at the beginning. Till death do us part. Yeah. I know that that's the vows. But it, you legally, that does dissolve, legally dissolves the yeah. marriage. He wouldn't still be married if she wasn't still alive somewhere. So mm -hmm. I think that that's a very interesting Im implication. Uh, and that's, uh, you know, there there have been some slightly more wackadoodle ones, but that one works well. We'll get into the slightly wackier ones here in a second. But that reminds me also of, for those of you who listened to our Murder Mima episode about Dorothea Puente, she intentionally would marry men as a way to hide her identity yeah. because she, you know, the it sucks for most women to have to change their last name when they get married because it's a stupid, like, possessional thing to do. Or, I mean, I get it. Don't roast me in the comments. I know some people like to do it. That's cool. I, I'm not telling you that you're wrong. I just, it's a really, it's also a super, super good way to change your name legally on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and Dorothea did it to hide um, her crimes as well because she was a criminal leading up until she had her torture basement. By all means, go listen to that episode. It's great. But I don't think that in this case had she gotten out she would have been caught i think she could have continued especially yeah. if she got caught there she was such a brash person that i definitely see her probably being like okay heard won't do that again yeah and if you know that because when she got arrested and when she got out before she went to jail for the last time we should say yeah people started recognizing her again and interviewing her again so if she didn't want that attention anymore you just keep bouncing place to place, keep changing your name. People are going to lose track of you. Change your name from Obi-Wan to Ben and yep. bury your lightsaber in the desert hey. on your mortal enemy's home planet right next to his son. It's an easy place to hide. Obi-Wan now on Disney+. Plus. And then try to gaslight your uh, weird nephew's <laughs> uncle. Guy, the guy who's his guardian. Okay, so there are a few other ones. There's a, a, a one of my theory, one of the theories I saw that I really
really, really enjoy that I think is funny is that she impulsively ran off with the Beatles. Yeah. Who were at like the top of the charts right then, which I think is a fantastic idea. While she had never really, there's no evidence that she was in any way a Beatles fan. Beatles media was profound. She was a young woman at the time. It wouldn't be insane to think no. that she would want to follow the sexiest band in the country around. And hey, if you're someone that likes committing crimes, be a groupie for a band that goes all around the world and will get you to places and, oh, and you can I know slip some, out in the cover of night. Dude, I know, I you know, I've worked in the traveling music business and I know some people that don't do exactly that, but do, yeah, kind of exist in the margins. Like, yeah. Yeah, they sort of only exist to kind of take the little bit of extras and that's fine. God willing to them. But, uh, you know, I, I don't think it's... Uh, at face value, it sounds kind of insane to say that she ran away with the Beatles, but I don't know, man, because they'd know who she was. Yeah. You know, and... I don't ha I don't find it hard to believe that they would all hang out together. You know, I think it's easy to paint them now as like these softies because we think of Paul McCartney or yeah. whatever as Mr. World Peace, but they were the fucking Beatles. Yeah, yeah. and I'm yeah. sure John Lennon beat the shit out of her. If yeah, she did. <laughs> yeah. Uh, was, maybe John <laughs> did John Lennon kill Laura Lee Michelle? Are we breaking that scoop on the podcast right now? You want to come hang out with us? <laughs> it's like the it's like the time that we discovered that the person who probably cursed James Dean's car was a Nazi. Yes, like, for his real. Nazi Actually, mechanic. Was an actual Nazi. Go watch that one because that's yeah, wild. That was fucking crazy. Uh, okay, so one of the other ones is, I was told that she became an ambassador to the U.S. So if that happened, she couldn't have been gone for very long. Again, Shirley Temple. Fuck! Different child star. Are you sure? Yes, that's I Shirley Temple. The They're not the same person. I don't think that's right. All right, well... <laughs> There are a couple that I absolutely love, um, mm -hmm. and this it wouldn't we'd be remiss on the Acid Cat Spirit Hour if we didn't get into deep UFO, cryptid, and CIA territory. Yes, uh, and we're going to talk about these things because while we're not Alex Jones, we're not um, afraid to explore some of the lesser considered theories. And there's some other shit that was going on at the time that's important to know. Okay, so let's talk about Texas in 1964. Yes, there was a wave of UFO sightings starting in April of 1964 continuing throughout the whole year. And there hadn't really been any sightings in the U.S. since 1957. Mm -hmm. So that's seven years of not really seeing a lot of UFOs. And then in 1964, we start seeing a shitload of them, including all over Texas. Now, yeah. we've covered UFOs in Texas a couple times. Um, uh, the biggest one's probably the episode that we did about the Lubbock Lights, which has a lot to do with Project Blue Book, the Men in Black, and that whole like swamp gas thing that they do in the movie. That sort of, no pun intended, gaslighting comes from from what happened in Lubbock yes. uh, and a UFO sighting where the entire town saw it. Um, I don't think it would be unbelievable to say that she maybe wasn't just abducted. There's a chance that when she got out of jail, if she's bouncing around Texas, rural Texas, doing all this stuff before she goes to jail, I'm not a, and she's a recidivist, I'm not a firm believer that when she gets out, she's not just going to go right back to the same fucking shit. So she's probably bouncing around doing dumb little crimes. I don't find it hard to believe that she'd find herself in a weird situation late at night and maybe get picked up by an alien. Mm -hmm. Now, the question there is, what happened to her? And yeah. the UFOs that were just described at that time are the same UFOs that were described as what were seen in Lubbock. They're also the same UFOs that were described in the Kanab National Forest by Travis Walton. Uh, it's a large glowing tic-tac uh, that if you touch it, it hurts you. Uh, Battle of the Big Sky in Montana, the nuclear missile silos, the same UFO was sighted there. Yeah, and a soldier went reached out and touched it while another soldier was on the radio, and he was like, 
boss, there's something up there. And he's like, what are you fucking talking about? He's like, boss, I got to go. Fucking Private Jerry over here just touched it and it blew his fucking arm off. And so in, in that uh, soldier, go listen to that episode. It's called the Battle of the Big Sky. But uh, yeah, that like legitimately, that soldier was hurt. That was declassified mm-hmm. dozens of years later. He was actually injured that evening, and they don't know why. And it's because he touched this big UFO thing. Um, and the UFO that was the UFO sightings that were described in Texas in 1964 and throughout the country. I should say that this wasn't just in Texas; it was all over the world. There was a rash of these sightings. Um, from there was some really wild stuff that happened in England. England at the time in 64, but I, I'm going to get into all my UFO history stuff here. But 64 <laughs> was a pretty wild year for UFOs, and I wouldn't find it unbelievable that she could have disappeared. I think a lot of people disappear to UFO abductions. I just don't think that we, I don't think they're all child stars, so we don't keep talking about it, you know, 30, 40 years later. Yeah. If, you know, your aunt goes, I, <laughs> bless, that's not actually what I mean. She's a lovely human, but heaven forbid something happened to Autumn and she just got sucked up. You know what I mean? Yeah. We'd have no idea. Yeah. We'd have no idea. And nobody, there wouldn't be newspaper clippings about it because she's a local teacher. She's not, you know what yeah. I mean? It's not, there's, it's such a different thing. I don't find it entirely unbelievable that she was abducted there. Now, there was also, if she allegedly died in 79 of cancer, those of you uh, who are familiar with the relationship that UFOs seem to have with radiation mm-hmm. and uh, their resistance to radiation. Yeah, and so their draw thing, to re- radiation yeah, as well. Yeah, it's a thing we've talked about a lot, but uh, the radiation, because they're attracted to radioactive areas, it seems like radioactive activity seems to get their attention. Now, we all know that there is also a very intimate relationship between uh, radioactive activity and cancer growth. Mm-hmm. Now, she died of cancer in 1979. She... There was a large UFO sighting on August, or not August, sorry, that would have been too late, April 21st. Yep. On the basically equidistant side from Houston. So we're talking about maybe 60 miles away from Houston, or from her, maybe 30 from Houston. Not far enough away to not be within 30 miles of goofing around, driving around territory. Now, my mom did a lot of the same type of stuff. She had a Firebird, and she, you know, she would zip around and get in trouble, and they would get in all kinds of adventures and I wouldn't, you know, if she had been abducted by aliens when she was, it's around the same time, you know, it was in the early eighties. And if she would have been abducted by aliens and disappeared, nobody would have known. She would have just gone missing and people would have stopped talking about it. Yeah. So I think that, uh, there's also a possibility that maybe she was abducted or interacted with this UFO and that's what gave her cancer. Or there has also been, this is where we're going to get into real deep, uh, tinfoil hat territory, but there are people who think that aliens give us cancer. That's why we don't know what causes it. And that's why it's this accelerated growth because like with, with uh, Zachariah Stitchin and the 13th planet, the Anunnaki, the idea that sort of we're given this growth sort of super soldier serum of sorts from yeah. the Anunnaki, that idea tracks with that. So I know all this is like really silly and deep, but there are a lot of relationships between the radiation that we talk about in UFOs and obviously the radiation that inspires cancer growth. And some have drawn very direct lines. Now those direct lines probably need a lot more intermissions than they have, but I don't think it's something to necessarily ignore the fact that the year that she disappeared, there were a rash of UFO sightings and the year she allegedly died from cancer. There was another very significant UFO sighting within an hour from her house. Yeah, I don't, you know, like I know that that takes a little bit of conspiracy to tie together, but that's what we do here. And I don't find it entirely unbelievable. I find it as believable that she was abducted by a UFO, even repeatedly, as I do that she died in prison. Yeah. Because I don't, you know, dying in prison basically is very likely, but not possible. And the UFO thing is not very likely, but certainly possible. Yeah. So I don't know. I think the UFO one is a big one. I think that that's a a chance. And I also think that the abduction that happened in 79 very likely could have had an effect, maybe caused her cancer, accelerated her cancer. Or for all we know, 
shit, man. Maybe people who die from cancer are the people that the aliens choose. And, you know, if you die from cancer, your soul gets sucked off into some special place. I don't know. I, I Obviously, I'm kind of yeah. stammering now, but that's because I'm sort of just piecing it together. Yeah, or even, like, to be a little comic book nerdy about it with, like, Deadpool. Yeah. Say they give someone cancer as, like, a trial. Because if it fully takes over your body, you're now immortal. Yeah. Because, like, with him, his super healing replicates his cancer cells to where his whole body is cancer cells. And that way, anytime he gets hurt... The cancer cells form so fast that it heals them. What if that's what they're trying to figure out? Yeah, it's, a, it's a, the antithesis of what's probably going to be the story with uh, Jane as Mighty Thor in the new Thor movie. Because Jane gets the spoiler alert in the comics. Jane gets the hammer. She's chosen by Milner because she has cancer and Thor can't save her. Mm -hmm. uh, and he tries to and he can't. But Milner can. The problem is, is Milner also causes her cancer or her um, chemo drugs not to work. Yeah. Uh, so when she is the Mighty Thor, she's also dying the yeah. whole time. Time. Yeah, so that's why she eventually has to give up the mantle. And hopefully I didn't just spoil the movie, but if I did, it's a great story anyway. Yeah. Uh, and then there, there's another one. Uh, beyond just UFOs, we can go even deeper. Now, in the 1960s, there was one group in the U.S. that was doing a lot of bullshit everywhere. We've talked about them all the time, and on a show like this, we're going to talk about them constantly, and that is the CIA. Yes. Now, in 1964, the CIA was uh, responsible for a very large coup in Brazil, a very brutal coup that would lead to a, honestly, like, multiple decades of some of the most brutal uh, leadership that we've seen. There was a demo. We helped uh, overthrow a democratically elected um, leader and did so in the effort of fighting against communism, which yeah, is a little antithetical, um, <laughs> but that Brazilian coup happened in 64. Mm -hmm. Where am I going with this? Well, as we've talked about before, the government has a tendency, especially the CIA, they pick special people. And I know that that, again, tinfoil hat territory, but let's be honest, this really does happen. We can talk about Barry Seal, one of the beloved characters of this show. Honestly, one of the coolest motherfuckers that ever yeah. lived. The guy who makes us all believe that this shit all happens because it happened to him. Well, Barry got picked because he had committed a small crime. He got caught smuggling. And they went, hey, we know you're a really good pilot. Why don't you come work for us and you'll get off on this crime. Here, we have somebody who's a very talented actor and with a little bit of fame who also knows how to keep a secret and has a lot of dirt. I don't think it's unbelievable that the CIA would have come to her while she was in jail and they went, hey, you stole a car. You got to knock this shit off. You got to quit. We got a job for you. You're young. We can form you. Why don't you come work for us? You're a very talented actress. Why don't you come work for us? We have a great place for you. have to pretend to be somebody else. And I don't find it hard to believe that they could have shipped her down to Brazil and had her help with this coup. Yeah. And that would explain why the jail doesn't have any records. Well, because they're not allowed to show them to you because the CIA said they can't. Yep. And it would also explain how she got out of jail without anybody fucking noticing. Well, usually the only way that happens is if you close your eyes. Mm -hmm. And if, when the CIA is in the room, what do you got to do? Got to close your eyes. Yeah. So I don't find it in any way hard to believe that there's a chance that they would. I mean, look at Argo, right? I know that's a slightly different situation, yeah. but celebrities have been used in stings before. We, we've talked about it about when we talked about the Rosenbergs, we talked about a lot. There are a number of celebrities who have been utilized for their abilities in espionage. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of precedent for this and it's not entirely unbelievable. She's the perfect candidate, man. When you think about a, a work of fiction, you think about setting up a character who has the correct motivations to do something. This feels like a work. I mean, I know that I'm saying and people are like, well, it is a work of fiction, you dummy. But it's it's so 
incredibly believable. Yeah. Yeah, this idea that she would be down on her luck, totally fucked, and the men in black would come to her and go, hey, we've just started doing all this weird new shit. Uh, we killed the president a couple of years ago. I don't know if you saw that. You know, and to go back to It Barry, was mind-blowing. Yeah, it was a mind-blowing experience. <laughs> Fucking Barry Seal. Barry Seal was probably the pilot that day. You know, Jack Ruby was uh, convicted very quickly, but he was convicted earlier that year. Mm -hmm. So, like, the likelihood that all of this stuff could be related is unfortunately pretty high, especially with the way that the CIA is. Yeah. And, you know, we're still learning. We learn on a regular basis. The CIA had been illegally tapping people's phones since 1957, and we didn't find out for 20 years. So the likelihood, you know, and that was right around the time that she allegedly died of cancer. Mm -hmm. So there's just too many nebulous parts of it that feel like CIA meddling to yeah. me. What do you think? I, I That's one of the strongest theories that we have today. Um, I could fully believe that, like, all his suicide squad. Yep. She was picked out of prison. The and CIA was like, does that shit. Yeah, they straight up do. Uh, there, there are multiple people that have been like, yeah, I was down on my fucking luck. Uh, they needed someone to do something. I had skills in that area, and they just picked me up, and that's what I did for 30 years. I mean, that's kind of the story of the NSA. Yeah. Except it's a little more, uh, well, a little more and a little less obvious, because it's yeah. like, well, it's your job. Yeah. yeah. But still, they take people who have a special set of skills. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I That one, of all of the, like, we'll get into the third, like, kind of wild one, which I really like. It's, this one's more yours, which yes. I really enjoy a lot. But I... This story is a lot of fun because it allows us a lot of speculation, but we also get the opportunity to share a lot. I don't think everybody knows about the, you know, the UFO sighting heat wave of 64 and stuff. Yeah. Like, it's fun to kind of get to talk about that stuff. And it's interesting how often when we're telling these stories, I know we could call it confirmational bias or whatever, but it, oh, pardon me. But I find it interesting how often these things tie together. We joke a lot that everything always comes back to the Warren Commission, which for those of you who don't know, that was the name of the uh, commission of uh, governors and representatives and stuff that looked into the the assassination of John F. Kennedy, um, which was probably obvious. Like, it all comes back to the Warren Commission because it was the time that a president was assassinated by the government and then it was covered up by that government. Yeah. Uh, by the guy who wanted the job, who was his second, you know, like, and who had been in charge of all the information previously. Anyway, it doesn't matter. But it does seem like everything comes back to the Warren Commission, almost like the Warren Commission is like this illustrative event. Like the JFK's assassination and the subsequent behavior is something we should pay a lot more attention to. I would love to have like a, a mini series or something like that. Like, I don't know if you've ever watched, like, Warehouse 13 or yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. But called the Warren Commission, where it's actually this, like, super, super, super secret government agency. And they're basically the cleaners for everything. <laughs> they're the Illuminati. It'd yeah. be a fucking awesome show. So The ICA from Hitman. Yeah. Yeah, they're just the Warren the Commission. The Warren Commission. So and there's just a guy, the the dude who's in charge, or person, I should just say person. When I, By the way, I'd never mean that as a gendered term for those who are listening. Uh, and if you just cringed that I said gendered, tough. Um, the, I like the idea that that person in charge would be called Warren. Yeah. yeah. I'm Warren. That's, this is my commission. The Warren Commission. <laughs> <laughs> but his name's like Greg. Yeah. So that position, he's Warren. Warren. He's the Warren. Yeah. You mean Warden? Nope. nope. No, 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 that's a jail. I'm a Warren. Yeah, so I, the idea that the CIA could have used her as an asset, especially in a very well-known, very now well-known, I should say that the other way around so it's not quite so confusing, uh, coup that happened in Brazil. Brazil Wire happened. We know that it happened. We know we were involved. We know we executed a coup there. I don't. We know that Barry Seal only 
three years later would be flying up and down out of that area. We know that, uh, or I guess five, six years later, and then within 10 years would be flying the Contras up and down Mm -hmm. and training them in Arkansas. Again, go watch the Bear Seal episode. It's fucking nuts. But you know that, like, I don't find it hard to believe we had a lot of these CIA assets flying up and down. I don't in any way find it hard to believe that they would have pulled her aside and be like, hey, we need... I wonder, do you think some celebrities, like, wish this would happen? Do you think Vin Diesel is just, like, praying for the day that the CIA is like, we need Groot. A hundred percent The Rock is. <laughs> oh, yeah, dude. Well, it's never going to work for The Rock. Yeah. You know? yeah. He really wants to put on a real CIA flag jacket and just be the most annoying guy in the room. Yeah, he really wants to be Hobbs for real. All right, so now this brings us to our last and obviously uh, probably our most wild, but I think most fun story. And that's it. While there were uh, a rash of UFO sightings in 1964 and that large uh, sighting in 1979 right near her home, what else happened in 1964, Caleb? So in a small town in West Texas in 1964 of Cato, uh, there was a very unusual occurrence. Very, especially for Texas. Especially for Texas. A Sasquatch appearance. Hell yes. Known as... You thought you were going to get through an episode without us talking about Sasquatch? You were fucking wrong. (laughs) Uh, Called the Cato Critter was a... I love that name. Seven foot tall, four foot wide, covered in hair creature. (laughs) Brick shit house. That a very old man with a very long neck reportedly... Filled a whole clip from his revolver into, and Dude, it ran away. That picture of him, he looks like, uh, you said he looks like Rango, which he really does. He looks like a turtle. You know, yeah. like when a turtle stretches. Uh, that's what he looks like. But he managed to get him. I assume that's what Gus Johnson's going to look like in like 50 years. <laughs> so yeah, so there was, a, there was a Sasquatch sighting and hunt that happened in Cato, Texas in 1964, in the and, summer of 64. Uh, our, our theory to go off that was, one... Was she a victim of the Cato Critter? Was she killed by the Cato Critter? Let's clarify a little bit better so they understand the situation here. I said, do you think maybe she was a victim of the Cato Critter? (laughs) My theory is that she made a Sasquatch suit to escape from prison. She was the Cato Critter. (laughs) What's the the best way to get out of prison? Make a big furry ghillie suit after cutting all of the other inmates' hair, putting it together, and running and out of there. <laughs> tap, you think she's tap dancing? I like to think because she wasn't that big. So I like to think that maybe she found another short prisoner or like maybe somebody a little stockier to carry her. And she was like, I'll get on your shoulders. We're going to be Sasquatch. Imagine how hot that suit would be if you were escaping in the Texas sun in the summer. Yeah. Getting shot out by Rango. (laughs) I think it's hilarious. And it's hands down. I'm sorry for that sound. I just made the (laughs) microphone. Uh, I'm hands down. This While I think the CIA theory or honestly the UFO theory is obviously the one I'm most partial to. And while I think the CIA theory is the most likely uh even more than she just lived a normal life uh the cato critter is by far my favorite i think it's uh, hilarious what a hilarious idea to be clear they did not catch that sasquatch nope the old man shot at it a couple times he didn't manage to hit it um they i went on like a month-long hunt for it never found it you know what's interesting is we obviously we talk about sasquatch a lot we uh we talked about the giant of kandahar a few weeks ago mm-hmm. which is uh <laughs> like the biblical the nephilim the biblical sasquatch which also apparently fucked up a whole group of soldiers uh, if you haven't listened to that one go listen to it if you're 
listened this far into this podcast that you've probably listened yeah. to the other one. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it reminds me a lot of the Nephilim because it's like you, when we talk about Sasquatch, we never talk about the desert, which yeah. is why the the giant of Kandahar is so interesting because what a like at least in Afghanistan it makes sense because in those mountains there you know there's an elaborate cave system full of uh, supervillain bases with sharks with lasers and stuff according <laughs> to why we went to the Middle East originally. No, uh, but there are you know there is an elaborate cave system so you could survive. It could be colder, you know. Yeah. That stuff makes sense to me. I I know that, like, hairier people come from hot places yeah. because it's, like, to wick sweat. Do you think that's why Sasquatch smells so fucking bad? People always say that the Sasquatch smells really bad. Do you think she's it's got B. a real sweaty sack. Yeah, she's got the sweatiest taste. Sasquatch. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, you know when you sleep in your clothes? Yeah. Yeah, when you wake up after you've slept in your pants. It's the exact same, except he's just that way all the time. Yeah, he's just wearing a fur coat all the time. Swamp ass. <laughs> I, w- I honestly would find it more believable that we've swamp never <laughs> that we don't interact with uh, the swamp ass squatch all that often <laughs> because he's just really embarrassed about the way it smells. It's like that. No, man, you guys are fucking rude to us about how we smell. Humans are so hung up on smells. You're really mean to us, guys. We would have joined your guys' society a while ago, but you want us to change too much. Yeah. What if like the life lesson of the Sasquatch is actually that while they smell very bad and are kind of scary, they're the most enlightened beings on earth. And if we would just allow them the first nation to allow them to like live freely, we'll also have them in their military Yeah, and basically be unstoppable. Could you imagine if we had fucking Wookiees? I know. I mean, we've talked about it. We've talked yeah. about the battle apes of Vietnam because we talk about Sasquatch all the fucking time. <laughs> but yeah, so the Cato critter very likely. Uh, I think that's a fucking fantastic one. Not the chupacabra, but instead a giant Sasquatch that hopefully was just a costume. You know, everybody says the Sasquatch is fake. Well, maybe the Cato critter was fake and it was just one of the most cunning escapes. That's a fucking fantastic prison escape. That'd be a hilarious way to escape prison. Make a Sasquatch what, if, what if it wasn't a prison escape? What if she got out of jail and just to escape Texas? Because Cato is in West Texas, so maybe she was like, I'm going to New Mexico. I'm getting the fuck out of here. And that's as far as she made it. It was like, uh, we've never talked about... Um, uh, uh, Christopher Daniel Gay, but you and I have talked about him a few times. I really love him. For those of you who don't know, Little Houdini, he's the guy who stole Crystal Gale's tour bus from the Daytona 500 pits, which is the sickest car theft of all time. Yeah, And it was to go see his like dying mother. Mm-hmm. It's a hell of a story. We should probably cover him at some yeah. point. It's a hell of a story. But it kind of reminds me of that. You know, like, it's this, maybe she was like, maybe she like stole it. Because that that's how she operated. She just kind of, you know, it, it's, uh, what's the what's the name of that fucking rat race? It's like rat yeah. race. It's like, however she can get there. It's like rat race, you know, she's like plane, trains, and automobiles. Yeah. Like however she can fucking get there. I think it's pretty funny. And I, I like to think that maybe for the first leg of her escape, she was, I don't know, dressed as a clown. And then she was like, this shit's not going to work. It's blown. Maybe this just comes from how much we play Hitman. Yeah. But it feels a lot like, why have we never been able to be Sasquatch in Hitman? It'd be I, so funny. Dude, that'd be a fantastic way to, you can be a knight. Why can't I be Sasquatch? It just made me think of I.O.I., okay. give it to us. Carl Havoc from uh, I Think You Should Leave. She's in the Sasquatch suit trying to get away from Texas, and she's like, there's too much fucking shit on me. I don't want to be here anymore. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, so who knows? Uh, maybe maybe she did, maybe she didn't. Maybe we should do, uh, leave us a comment if you want to hear us do an episode on the Cato Critter, by the way. It's a pretty interesting story. that uh, And a Sasquatch story that we weren't all that familiar with. Yeah. Yeah, I'd never heard of the Cato. I mean, we know a lot of them. We know the Loveland Frogs. We know them all. But the Cato Critter was Cato a new Cato Critter one. was a new one. That sounds like uh, like a fritter to me. And I know that I'm just <laughs> transposing the letters, but it sounds like a breakfast food. Yeah. It, like a keto fritter. <laughs> or like, 
It also sounds like it could be like a pet shop name. Yeah. Like, come on down to Kato Critters. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> a, cate, a crate of critters. Crate of critters. <laughs> yeah. Just a, like, yeah, just a real run on, you know, crate of critters. <laughs> it's, hard. it's hard to say unless you fully commit. If you fully commit, it'll be fine. All right. Well, let us know what you guys think happened to Laura Lee Michelle. Uh, we don't know. Hopefully she's still alive. Laura, if you're watching this podcast, please leave us a, uh, a comment. We'd love to talk to you. Yeah. And if you're dead, feel free to haunt my house. Everybody yeah. else seems to. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, uh, let us know what you guys think. It was, it was a fun ass uh, episode. This was a this is a any episode that's speculation heavy is our favorite. Yes, because we get to really dig into what could have caused it. And yeah, could it have been somebody from like her past or a Hollywood person? Could she have just gotten out of jail and somebody showed up and you know she disappeared or something bad happened? Yeah, probably. But let's think about if she was sucked up into a wormhole and maybe thrown out over Kentucky in the 1800s. The Kentucky meat portal. Yeah. we meat vortex, it, Yeah, if say. you guys haven't listened to that episode, we're doing a lot of episode plugging here. But like I said, much like the Warren Commission, everything comes back to something. <laughs> and it really reminds me of the Kentucky meat storm, which was an inexplicable meat storm that happened in Kentucky in the 1800s. And we just assumed that it was a temporal rift. And most of the people who are missing in the world... That's where they are. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Bermuda Triangle just sucks you up and yep. it spits you out into a portal of meat above Kentucky in the 1800s. Or was the, what's the triangle that we covered in uh, Massachusetts? Oh, oh, what is that? The death, not the death triangle. No, that's that, that's a fantastic trios wrestling team. <laughs> that's Pac, Phoenix, and Pentagon. <laughs> that's the death triangle. Anyway, yeah, go look at the episode. I should... Hopefully, I'll edit it in right here so I'll know so we don't look like fools. But, yeah, there are, you know, and there's the Alaskan Triangle, too. Yep. There are a number, number of triangular portals to hell, it seems to be. But, yeah, uh, let us know what you guys think. With that said, it is the end of the podcast, which means only one thing, Caleb. It is riddle time. It's riddle so, time. So, last episode's riddle was what belongs to you, but everyone else seems to use it. <laughs> Fucking uh, everything? As my mom very... Confusingly told me the answer by just sending me my name multiple times. <laughs> the answer is your name. <laughs> it's something that belongs to you, but everyone else seems to use it. I got you. This week's uh, riddle is what starts with a T, ends with a T, and is always full of T. Oh, shit. I don't know. The... Boston Harbor in 17 whatever. <laughs> the Toboston Harbor. The, tobo the, the Toboggan Harbor. <laughs> I'm talking like a Ricky from Trailer Park Boys. All right, well, we love you guys very much. Let us know what you think the answer to this week's riddle is. Let us know where you think Laura Lee Michelle is. Uh, if you were watching our little news show, uh, as we mentioned at the beginning, we have a TikTok now. That's where it is now. Yes. We just do it over on TikTok. Way easier. And honestly, the people are kind of nicer. Sorry, guys. <laughs> uh, but yeah, check us out there. Obviously, we have our podcast. We will be doing this every Sunday. You will be able to find it here. We'll have a new weird story where we can talk about what maybe did or didn't happen to stuff that does or doesn't exist. But until then, we love you guys very much, and we'll see you on the other side. Goodbye.